You are listening to the Greater Long Beach Church Podcast. We are a church of believers that exists to help people connect, change, and thrive in life. We, uh, Marina and I just got back yesterday from a great trip. Um, we took one for the team, and they invited us out to serve the church in Hawaii, in Oahu, and uh, to go to serve at the teen camp there. They had about 50 teenagers in Oahu at the teen camp. It was a very intimate setting. And I want to show you some pictures, and then Maria's going to share a couple things about our trip um, here. So first of all, here's a little clip of everybody saying hi to Long Beach. Okay, let's do that again. Can we get some sound? Like, turn it up a little bit. Do you see, do you, do you see, do you see Soma in the back there? Okay, let's try that again. Can we dim the li- can we dim the lights too? Set the mood. Set the mood. All right, here we go. All right, do we have the sound going? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. This is, that's where we had our teen camp, and uh, I got to preach there a few times. Um, it was a great experience. I think it's important for us to stay connected with other churches outside of just the Greater Long Beach Church. Just build, continue building bridges and relationships. That's why I say I took one for the team to go to Hawaii for you. You know what I'm saying? Let, let, you're, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, somebody has to do it, right? So, Okay. Um, I want to show you a picture kind of of the scene of where we stayed. And I want to show this because I want to inspire some of our teens to maybe start raising money so you can join us and go. Well, I don't know if we'll go again, but uh, in 2017, they're going to do this again. Usually they have all their teenagers raise money all year and fly to L.A. to come to our L.A. church teen camp. Uh, The past two years they've done their own, but next year they're going to join us in L.A., but the year after they're going to have one another one. Look, Look at where they have D group. Okay. This this is where they have so this is where they're they're all sharing what they're learning about God, right? In the water. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you see those cabins right there? That's where everybody stays. So like when you get out, you're literally on the beach. It's incredible. This is one of the games we played. They had water trampolines out there, and they had two kids <laughs> together and stopped jousting each other, and they had to knock each other off. I definitely got to play that, and it was awesome. And then I think for us, one of the highlights of our trip was spending time with some of our best friends, our mentors in the faith, really in our first few years of marriage, in our first few years of parenting. And uh, this is a picture of us with Anthony and Son Galang uh, at this very famous uh, Matsumoto Shave Ice right there in the North Shore of Hawaii. And um, we took a picture that I must confess we did not get to have the shave ice there because the line was so long. But I took a picture there to make it seem like we did. So anyway, um, I love, we love Anthony and Son, and they're some of our best friends. They really have mentored us in many areas of our life, uh, marriage, parenting, ministry leadership, church leading. Uh, and it was a very refreshing time for Marina and I to spend time with them. So Marina's going to share a little bit about the camp, and then we'll get into the lesson. Yeah, well, I just wanted to quickly say thank you so much for coming. Thank you for praying for us. It was, you know, it was amazing. <laughs> but um, it was um, Uh, while we were 
Um, yeah, it was a very special time. And I think it is, I mean, again, it's an island, so they feel it, the island. And they feel, man, sometimes disconnected from kind of the bigger picture and the bigger fellowship. And here in Los Angeles, uh, if you're new to our church, we have uh, congregations meeting in all parts of L.A. And together, when we come together, for example, we cooperate and collaborate to put together a team camp every year. About 400, 500 kids come. It's huge. It's incredible. The opportunities that our, that our teens have here for fellowship and connection is very special. And so um, that's why they, raise, they spend all their year raising up money to come out here for that. But I think what Marina said, we can't take it for granted. I want to, be, I want to, to make sure that we're always thankful, uh, teens, that we're always thankful for what we have here in L.A., but also realize how important it is to continue having bridges and connections with our fellowship around the world. Amen? Uh, I want to transition here, and I want to share with you just a quick update of where we are in our missions contribution. We had a few weeks ago, we took up a, an offering uh, to support churches in Mexico and Central America, as well as in the Middle East. And so I want to show you where we're at right now. We're still collecting. Uh, if you haven't given yet, we're still um, in the process of, of collecting that contribution to send to the churches there. But I want to show you where we're at right now so you can get an idea. And hopefully, um, if it pushes you or, or inspires you to give a little more, or to maybe you haven't given yet and, you, and you've been wrestling with it, to really jump and leap by faith, that God's going to bless this. God's really going to bless whatever is given to help support the churches there, okay? So uh, I'm going to show you here a little thing here. This is the GLB family ministry, all the marrieds and the single parents and the uh, MDs and everybody together here. Our goal uh, is 83147 so far, we have given 64,404. That's awesome. I, I think that's great right now. You know, I mean, very encouraged. Our singles ministry, the goal for the singles ministry is 21,042, and the singles ministry has given 13,636 so far. The campus ministry, the goal for the campus is 10,803. Uh, what's get, been given is 11,689, proud of our campus ministry. Our teen ministry, the goal for the teen ministry is $1,793. Uh, they've given $834, teen ministry. And then we've had uh, just random uh, people giving or maybe didn't mark their names down. This is uh, $2,000 there. So total, our goal is for missions is $120,375. At this point, we're at $92,649. And I want to thank you so much, church, for your generosity. Um, we do have, we will be taking up uh, more collection today and next Sunday as well. So as you look at these numbers, obviously we're not at the point of what the need is in those churches. So if you're at a point where you're like, man, I, I can give more, I could have given more, give more. Um, if you're at a point where I just didn't give because I forgot or I just didn't really feel like it or whatever, I'd ask you to pray about it, think through it, get some advice and help, some some, uh, to, to push over and just leap by faith. God uses this to help uh, leadership training as well as, you know, youth ministry, campus ministry training in these churches in Mexico and Central America and in the Middle East uh, so that we can have strong, vibrant, growing churches in these places of the world. We want to make sure that we take care of our brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's store up treasures in heaven. 
by giving uh, to our missions contribution. Amen? Okay, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to jump into uh, kind of our Bible study for today before we take communion. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is good to be near you. It is good to have a relationship with you. It is good to know that you are our Father. And so we say Happy Father's Day to you, God, but we want to say Happy Father's Day to you every day. Uh, Thank you so much for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you so much for uh, the fact that we get get to approach you as our dad, as our father, because of Jesus. Um, Before Jesus, we would have needed a priest, uh, a mediator, but because of Jesus, Father, we can have a direct relationship with you. Uh, Father, thank you for meeting us where we're at. Uh, We're all at different places here this morning, and thank you so much for meeting us where we're at. Um, God, our world, our nation is going through just very challenging times. Um, Father, there was a a massacre in Charleston, South Carolina, just this past week at a church, at a Bible study group. And, Father, we can debate and talk about all the layers of everything that caused this attack But at the end of the day, Father, we we are a fallen people. We are a broken people. We are in desperate, desperate need of you, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your grace. Uh, I I pray. I pray for the town of Charleston. I pray for uh, the families who lost uh, their relative. Uh, Father, I pray for... You know, the Bible talks about loving and praying for your enemies. I pray for the, for the suspect. I pray, God, that you be with this whole situation. Help us to be lights to the world during this time. Father, we live in such a dark world. And I just ask for your uh, power to, to be shown through our lives as we follow you, as we strive to obey your word. Father, open up our minds, open up our hearts, our eyes to your scripture today as we uh, strive to understand your will for our lives and live out your will according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We, it's interesting, I've been kind of reflecting upon just how I view God and growing up in in this church in particular, um, and with parents who were very involved in my life, I think there was a point in my life where I grew up and I had this image of God as being someone who is out to get me. Somebody who is going to punish me. Somebody who is going to strike lightning upon me. And so I was kind of paranoid all the time sort of thing. And uh, somebody who um, at times in my life I kind of viewed God as somebody who is somewhat distant a little bit further away and, and not involved in my life. And it's interesting, as, I, as I've shared this with others, how many have felt the same way at different times in their life. And if you actually kind of pay attention to the news and pay attention to conversations in the world, uh, you realize that a lot of people feel this way sometimes, that God is uninvolved, he doesn't really care, he is out to smite us, he is out to punish us, he has forgotten us. Um, and you may not feel this all the time, but there are points and moments in our lives where we feel this. He's irrelevant. All he cares about is us following rules, uninvolved. I can never please him. 
And as I read the scriptures, and as I see who God is in the Bible, it's completely different from what I, in my own mind, can view God to be. You guys with me here on this? Um, I read this story a while ago, but I always found this to be fun, a kind of a fun, interesting thing. But, and I want to talk about this today. Uh, during a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia, teens, um, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard him reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy, it's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant and Muslim code of law. Each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. When you read the Old Testament, you realize that this is God's heart towards his people in Israel. They disobeyed. They're stubborn. They're arrogant. They're idolatrous. They've broken every commandment. They've forgotten the God. They've been punished over and over. And still, over all this time, God tells them, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you? Like Zeboi, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One among you, I will not come against their cities. To you and I, when we look at this concept of unconditional love and grace, it doesn't make sense. It may make sense in the area of marriage or our children, maybe, but even still, we prefer justice, we prefer fairness, and it's difficult for us to consider that maybe God's definition of justice and fairness is a bit more elevated and developed than ours. I know for me it's difficult to understand this. I mean, if I was God and I had Israel treating me like this all the time, I'd be ticked off. I would just destroy the whole nation, not just scatter them among nations as, as God did. I would just destroy them. And we see through the Old Testament over and over and over again, God shows up. God reveals himself. God rescues. God saves he will allow the consequences to hurt and to devastate, but he'll always come through. And I think God was looking at mankind and he was, it was so, he, he was like, man, why don't they get it? And so he decides to send Jesus. He says, you know what, I'm just going to show them by my life how grace works. 
And so Jesus comes along in John chapter 1 and talks about how he came in, full, in the full measure of truth and grace. He is all grace. He is all truth. In Jesus, we get all of it. Not half and half, all of it. And I think Jesus, not just in his interactions with people, he was showing this, but he was commanded and expected by God to, to preach on it and to teach on it. And I think even Jesus had such a hard time, uh, not a hard time, but just it, the, the idea of this unconditional love and grace is so difficult to express and talk about. Jesus used stories. We call them parables. And so I want to read, not read, but I want to tell these parables to us today, three parables in particular in Luke chapter 15. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke 15. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't, sit next to somebody who does. Open it up to Luke chapter 15. If you have a phone, it may not work in here because our, our uh, situation is not that the best for phone reception, but you can try that too. Luke chapter 15 in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so let's set the scene. You have these tax collectors, these guys who are viewed as just horrible, offensive, dirty, nasty people because they're Israelites, they're Jews who are in support of the Roman oppressive government. Does that make sense? And so they're collecting taxes from their own people to support a government that is oppressive. These guys and sinners. I don't know who that means, but I guess they're not the best of people. It says here that they were all gathering around Jesus. Interesting point here. People that didn't quote-unquote belong around Jesus loved to be with Jesus. People that should have known about Jesus, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, these guys should have known about Jesus. They felt uncomfortable, awkward, and critical of Jesus. But the guys who are outside of understanding God and grace and Jesus loved to be around Jesus. That's a whole other lesson for a whole other time. And so Jesus picks this opportunity to tell these three stories, to describe God's relationship with mankind. And he says, he says guys, okay, I, he's got this audience. He's got the teachers. He's got the Pharisees. He's got the, 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 the sinners and tax collectors. He says, okay, guys, you want to know what my dad's like? You want to know what my father is like? Okay, you see that sheep over there? Okay, he's like this. He's like a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. He's got a hundred sheep, and then one of them leaves and goes off. And so my, my father's like this. He's like the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes and finds this one. Now, it doesn't make any sense to leave 99 sheep for one sheep. But I think that's Jesus' point. God's love doesn't make sense to you and me. We're way below him. And he, he says in verse, in verse 5, and, 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and, and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. In verse 7, I, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who does that? Who throws a party because they found a lost sheep? And then he says, but guys, okay, maybe you guys didn't get that one. So, okay, there's this woman. She's lost a coin. And it's just one silver coin. And, and she sweeps the house and turns over the furniture and goes crazy looking for it. And she finds this coin. And in verse 9 he says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, who does that? I don't throw a celebration if I lose my money. I'm not going to call you to come over my... If I lose my iPhone and then I find it, I'm not going to call you to come over and celebrate with me because I found my iPhone. Does that make sense? I mean, who throws a party like this? I mean, and, and so Jesus is explaining. He's like, guys, that, that celebration, that's like my father when one of you repents. Not all of you, just one. So can you imagine all? And then he's like, okay, maybe you guys are not getting the shepherd and woman thing. Maybe, this, maybe you'll relate to this one better. And so he starts getting into... One of the most famous parables, right? The prodigal son. He says, okay, so there's a dad. He's got two boys. The younger one comes to him and disrespectfully comes to him and says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. He's basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead. Because you don't get the inheritance unless your parent is dead. So he's basically got the audacity to go to his dad and be like, hey, dad, show me the money. And what does the dad do? He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't debate with him. He's like, okay, here you go. Bam. And the younger son, Jesus is telling, imagine, you know, Jesus is telling the story. So he goes off and he squanders his wealth in wild living. And when he's eating the, 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 the food of the pigs, he's at the bottom. He's hit rock bottom. He's he, he, it, says, it says, Jesus says that he comes to his senses. He says, man, my dad's got all this food and all these people. and Maybe he'll just take me back. I don't know. And so he walks back home, and he's probably rehearsing what he's going to tell his dad. In fear of what his dad's going to tell him. But then we get the picture of, of the father looking a distance away and sees his son... And Jesus says that the father runs to his son, puts a robe on him and, and brings him in and butchers up the calf and cooks some lamb kebabs and throws a party. I don't know if you see a theme here with Jesus and his stories. His father likes to party. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, he threw a party. He says, my dad's like, he's throwing a party for the sheep. He's throwing a party for the lost coin. He's throwing a party for the son. God likes a good party. So, so he's in the party. He's hanging out. And, 
and, and he's so excited that his son's returned. And, and, then, and then Jesus is talking about the older son. He says the older son was out at the field. He's working. He's working. He doesn't even know what's going on. He comes back in hearing all this music and, you know, I mean, you know, I mean he just comes in and he's like, what's going on in this place? And he doesn't enter the room. He stays outside. He's so upset because the, one of the servants told him that the son returned. He's so upset he doesn't want to go in. So what does the dad do? Jesus says that the dad leaves the party that he's throwing, that he's in charge of. I mean, this dad has been disrespected by his youngest son, and now he's being disrespected by the older son. He leaves the party, and he goes out and he says, My son, all that I have is yours. Come in and rejoice with me because your brother has returned. He was lost and has been found again. And he says, guys, that's what God's like. God's going to run when he sees you returning after you've hit rock bottom. God's going to leave the party for you when you're being prideful and arrogant and disrespectful. To you and I, as humans, this makes no sense. It makes no sense. If I was the father, I'd be like, no, we've got to discipline this guy. Discipline, fairness, justice. That, doesn't, it, that makes more logical sense than I'm going to leave the party to get my son who's disrespectful to me. Jesus, again and again, tries to explain and appeal to people through these stories to see God as one who chases and pursues and celebrates and throws a party when someone is living under his grace. I think many times, some of us, were like the sheep. We're with the flock for a bit, but then we wander off and we lose ourselves. You know, maybe you're here today and you made a decision to study the Bible and, and to get baptized, but you've been wandering lately. You're like, I, don't, I just don't know if I want that anymore. Maybe, maybe you got baptized and maybe you're like, yes, Jesus is Lord. But then over the past few months, he's just kind of been like, I, I, need, I, want to, I need to do me. I just need to figure this out on my own. And you've kind of drifted away from the flock. God is going to leave the flock and going to chase you down and pursue you and wants you to come back into the flock. Many, many of us, some of us here are like the coin. You know, the coin, the silver coin is of great worth. It has someone's face on there to tell you how much it's worth. And we're like the coin, you know, we're like this coin made in the image of God. But we don't see, sometimes because of sin, because of just the world, the fallenness of humankind, we don't see our value or that we are worth that much. And so we get lost under all the dirt of the world and the fallenness of man. And here God is sweeping away on his knees, looking and sweeping away the dirt to find us and celebrate because to him, we're valuable. We're worth it. We're made in his image. Maybe some of you are so steeped in sin that you just can't find your way back to God, but yet God is willing 
and is able and is wanting to get on his knees and sweep the mess around you and pick you back up and bring you back and celebrate you. You know, some of us here, like the younger son, we, we've been taken care of and loved, but it's not enough because we want to do things our own way. And we know better. I know what's better for me. I need to figure this thing out. God, give me the blessings, but I'm not going to live according to your way. So I'm going to take what you've given me and leave and do my thing. And so God doesn't chase you. He just lets you go and figure it out. And then the passage comes to real life where God says in 1 Peter 5 that he opposes the proud but shows grace and shows favor to the humble. I bet God comes out every day wondering if you'll return. And once he sees you, he doesn't say, I told you so. He doesn't say that. Instead, he runs and he throws you a party. Now, this is after you've been humbled. And after you come back begging for that mercy. But he's willing to give it. He's not preaching at you and condemning you and judging you. Some of you, God, God, is, just, God is just waiting for you to come home. You've been hardened by sin. You've been wanting to do things your own way. You decide that God and his way is not enough and you want to do things your own way. And the, the sad thing is that the consequences of those decisions will be devastating. But he's waiting for you to humble yourself and come home. Not to be judged, but to be celebrated. To have a party thrown in your name. You know, some of us here are like the older son, obedient, following the rules, and expect to get the party instead of just being humble and grateful. You're saying, it's not fair. Look at this guy. This guy's messing up, and yet you bless him. It's not fair. But God says, everything I have is yours. I read this book a while ago. I've probably shared this quote with you guys a few years ago, but... Um, it's called The Prodigal God. And Timothy Keller, the author, writes this about the older brother. If, if, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your savior. Some of you guys have been a disciple for a long time. And you think just because you've been a disciple for so long that you're not as bad. And then it makes you okay and a good person. If I miss a quiet time here and there, if I don't give, you know, if I don't show up, you know, I I put in my time. God should know. But you don't see the arrogance and the pride that your actions display as you're basically telling God. You don't need his grace. You don't need his unconditional love because I'm so obedient, because I'm working so hard. And then you wonder why people don't come to church with you. Because you're probably not compassionate. You're more judgmental and self-righteous than you are meeting people where they're at. And still, God leaves the party to go find you. And wants you to come in to his party. Not your party, to his party. These are stories 
of the relationship between God and the Israelites that we find in the Old Testament. Time and time again, these people denied God, disobeyed God, disrespected God. And time and time again, God forgives, redeems, protects, chases, comforts. That's the power of our Heavenly Father. God wants to throw a party. God has a story, a plan for us to live out, but we mess it up with our own selfishness and sin. It's not that he allows bad things to happen or that he is uninvolved. It's that we don't want to do life his way, just like the Israelites. I want to show a couple of clips here. Marina and I recently, we were into this show, this really good show called Parenthood, and um, there's a scene here. I want to take some things from it, but, but um, there's, a, there's a couple of clips here we're going to show. But one of the daughters, her name is Amber, gets in a really bad car wreck. and I mean, she, she, she um, uh, doesn't get into the school choice that she wanted to get into. And so um, she goes out to party and we kind of see here. Why don't we t- get the lights and get the sound up? Next scene, uh, the whole family's at the hospital uh, waiting to find out what's going on. Probably one of the scariest phone calls a parent could get. Next scene, last scene here. Get the lights on, please. 
Uh, last scene, um, I mean, actually, we have two more scenes. So the next scene is she's in bed and, and mom and brother are trying to talk some sense into her. Last scene here, uh, Grandpa takes Amber and has a little talk with Amber. And we see sort of uh, the interaction they have, and then I'll share some comments here and prepare for communion.
<laughs> I love that. Uh, let's turn the lights on here. You know, I, I love this interaction. We can talk about family interactions and stuff like that. But if we were to view our relationship with God like this, God just wants to take us out for a burger. He just wants to take you out for a burger. But here we are, and he's got, he's got a dream for your life. He's got a dream for my life. But with our decisions, with our messed up perspective and thinking, we, th- we think we can do it better. And we wreck it. We wreck it. And I think God would be telling you today and me today, you don't have permission to mess with my dream for your life. I think God would tell you individually, you don't have permission to mess with His dream for your life. Our sin, our selfishness, our perspectives, our way of thinking, our humanistic Logic messes his dream up and prevents us from living out the story that he has in store for each and every one of us. And so he'll run to you. He'll, he'll, he'll see you. He'll, he'll chase you. He'll leave the flock to find you. He'll sweep the mess around you to pick you up, to help you to see that you're valuable, you're worth it to Him. He'll leave His own party and meet you where you're at with your arrogance and disrespect and invite you back in and tell you, everything I have is yours. I would say God would be telling you, you're going through a hard time. You don't feel good about yourself? Boo freaking who? (laughs) Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at what my son went through for you. Look at what I allowed for you so that you could live out my dream for you. My story for you. Do it his way. Titus 2, we're going to read this passage and then pray for communion. For the grace of God, this idea of grace, this concept of grace, the conviction of grace, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from our wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to live self-controlled lives, to, do, to be people that are eager to do what is good. And I would ask you today, are you listening to your heavenly father? Are you living out his will for your life? Are you messing up his dream, his story for your life? 
I look at my life and I'm so grateful for God's grace. God found me at just the right time. If he would not have found me at that time, I don't know if I would have paid attention later on in life. I think God knew I got to get this kid while he's young. I got to get his attention. Now, look at my life and, and without God's grace, I would be, there would be so much deceit, so much manipulation, so much selfishness, anger, resentment, distance, emotional distance from people, no deep relationships. I'm so thankful for God's grace. Can I show you a picture of God's grace in my life? That's God's grace in my life. This year, Marina and I celebrate 10 years of being married. 10 years. I'm, I'm like, that's great. You know, we made it a decade. Let's go a decade more and more and more and more. And I love my wife. I love that we were able to serve together. I look at Bella and Raquel, you know. That's God's grace in my life. I'm sure you guys all have your mental pictures of your people, but I get to share mine. That's baby Jay. Jonathan. That's, that's how he looks like now. You know, Jonathan's going to be a year old this upcoming Sunday. A year old. Many of you guys remember when he was born last year. But to me, I look at my life, 21 years of being a Christian, 10 years being married, three children that I'm... Uh, with God's grace, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope for my marriage. There's hope to pass on a legacy of faith to my children. I have no right to mess with God's dream for my life. That in of itself is motivation enough to fight for righteousness and self-control and discipling relationships and all that. that. That in of itself is motivation enough. I don't have a right to mess with God's story, God's dream. Teenagers and students, God's desire is for you to have a great relationship with one another and with your parents, with your family. And I would say, teens, students, think about your families. You may come from dysfunctional families, but it's the family that God gave you. And if it, even if it's dysfunctional, you may have family here in the church that you feel like, man, this is, this is family. Be grateful. Are you eager to do what is good to please and help and serve your family? Fathers, dads. Are you living out God's plan for your life under His grace? Are you training and bringing up your children in the instruction of the Lord? If you're married as a dad, are you eager to do what is good? Stop messing up God's dream for your life. Church, are we living out God's plan and His dream for us? Are we striving to be, as Ephesians 2 talks about, the household of God where He dwells? God's word gives many images of what the church should look like. The body of Christ, the army of God. But the one that needs to reflect us the most is being the family of God. Are we living out his dream for us to be family? Caring for one another, involving each other's lives, not tolerating sin, but actually helping one another and making it spiritually. Doing our chores in the household of God. We have no right to mess with God's dream. He's going to sweep around you. He's going to look for you. He's going to leave the 99. That's the power of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray as we remember Christ and take communion. God, we thank you so much for this time that we get to remember you. 
Remember Jesus. Remember what you've given up so that we would live out life according to your plan, according to your will. We don't deserve it, but your grace will teach us to say no to ungodliness, to live upright and self-controlled and godly lives. Father, help us to stop debating, to stop arguing, to stop fighting you, but to humbly join your celebration, your party. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.greaterlongbeachchurch.com.